judges ready? ready? Melissa Gabrielson, thank you for agreeing to speak with me today. I know it's been a tough couple of days for you and your team. What, what are you talking about? Melissa, with only days to go until voters go to the polls en masse, your world has been turned upside down by a leak of hacked emails sent by your champagne manager, Katie Webster. What does Katie have to do with this? And did you say champagne? We now know from these emails that you are in favor of forcibly removing a baby from its mother's body in the ninth month of pregnancy. Yeah, it's called giving birth. And that your use of a privately owned cat print dress was a pay-for-play attempt to gain an endorsement from PETA, Woods, to succeed him as the coach of Ideas Academy. Okay, I see what you did there, and I like it, but I still don't understand what's going on here. Are you willing at this point to admit, on the record, that you, and I'm quoting Ms. Webster here, just don't get what's so great about David Sedaris? You were never supposed to know about that. And is it true you think everyone's a little bit racist sometimes? Not just singing Avenue Q. No, you're the puppet. You're the puppet. What the f*** is going on here? Such a nasty woman. On today's episode, we continue our series, Too Taboo for the Tab Room, as we discuss shady tabroom practices and bringing your personal politics into a round. This, this is Forensic Spaces. I was just thinking, I always say hey to you first. I know. I so wanted to be like, on the ball. I was like, this is amazing. Okay. It was like we were thinking the same thing at oh the same gosh. time. Oh my gosh. Way to go. Um, so hi. Hello. 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 Hi. We're back. We're doing it. We're doing it. Guys, are you so proud of how on schedule we've been? Bi yes. weekly. We're doing really well. This is this is like legit. It's we're only two weeks in a row. But hey, you <laughs> by, know what? By the third one, this will be a trend. Yes. It will be amazing. And it'll and, be great. Yeah. And before you know it, we'll be doing our weekly ones, which yeah. are... Which is like coming up so soon. Oh, much faster than I would like. How are things going for you on that front? How are, how is, how are the teams? Um, They're going. I We didn't have a huge turnout for our movie night, but I highly recommend watching that documentary of which I have already forgotten the name of... Uh, Figures of Speech. Yes. It was super fun and interesting. And the way that it is put together... Uh, does a really great job of focusing on not just the competitive aspect of forensics, but also just like the way that it changes students. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. I, I look forward to watching it because yeah. I couldn't be there that night. I was yeah. going to show up later in the evening, but then Ben texted me and said, none of the North kids came anyways. Nope. And I was like, well, then I will then I stay. I will stay at my boring meeting. And I stayed at my boring meeting instead of coming to watch a really cool documentary, which yeah. I would at some point like to see. So but I maybe highly recommend if you need something interesting to do team bonding wise or recruitment wise, that that movie is excellent and fun. I will say that I think I appreciated it more knowing about forensics. It does do a good mm. job sort of introducing it, but it none of the people in the movie are from Wisconsin. Right. So forensics is different all over the place. Like one of the duos when they compete locally gets to like touch each other. And I remember like oh. when they, they were like at a local tournament and he like wrapped his arms on her and I was like, excuse you, sir. <laughs> you can't be doing that. But apparently where they compete, it's okay, which is fine. But yeah, highly recommend. I'm in the process of trying to start reading books. I've just been so busy at work. I haven't actually started doing any of my cutting, but I've got a whole stack of books from my co-coach that I need to start reading. I'm really excited. Fun. I'm going to read the, the Tignataro book. Yeah, and I love her. So hopefully I can see. Now I was gonna pick that up, but I was like, "Don't even bother. Somebody from South will be doing this piece. <laughs> Leave us alone." <laughs> like, no well, lesbian who got cancer, Sheboygan South. That is gonna I happen. Mean, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I just, I just knew it. You just knew it. But yeah. how's all of your recruitment stuff going? Um, it's going really nicely. I um, last week met with a couple of new dudes. Um, one dudes. who, is, yeah, dudes, actual boys, wow. um, two of them who, one of them was at the first meeting and came actually signed up to work with me and he brought his friend who I, we had just a great conversation. We talked about podcasting. Nice. I told him about this podcast. Ooh. So maybe they're listening, Shout um, out! but it was just, it was, you know, what's happening a lot this year happened then, which is that I'm just, I'm meeting new kids. I just really like them as people and i think that they are really really right for forensics that's exciting th you know that's not to take away from anybody who's been on the team before but like mm -hmm. this is happening more and more this year um where i feel like i'm getting 
that forensics personality and they're showing up, Yay. which is really, really great. That's the most um, important part. And I'm, I'm not going to take any credit for it. I think it's because my forensics kids who are in forensics and who have the forensics personality are doing a really good job of reaching out and inviting people uh, to come and be a part of it, which Yay. we talk about all the time on the yep. podcast. Um, Jim Disrude talked about it at the state tournament last year, like the power of the invitation, like, and my kids are doing it and I'm really, really pleased by that. And I'm loving the young people I'm meeting as a result of that. So Yay, exciting. Really I'm just um, ready for the season to like officially kick into swing. Oh, I'm nowhere near that. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm not ready no, for that. No, like, but, I'm like, excited I'm just, for it, yeah, but, but I, we are so uh -uh. far away. <laughs> you, we, there are a lot of no-no hand gestures going on behind yeah. our microphones right now. Yeah. We are not physically or like mentally ready, but emotionally, I think I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I think yeah. this is going to be a great year of forensics yeah. for Sheboygan. And so. we talked about it like in the last season of uh, like in the spring about how we were both sort of feeling like we were burnt out on our coaching, mm -hmm. which happens for me, it was because it was my first year juggling two teams. I felt very overwhelmed by it. And this year, again, I'm butting up against some roadblocks of sorts with one of my teams. Mm -hmm. But I'm still, the kids are so excited and passionate. And so those roadblocks are nothing if it means I get to help them do what they're excited to do. And so as long as they're enthusiastic kids, it sort of fuels that fire for you. It's helpful. So, yeah. It really, like, I, I, and we, again, this is just repeating ourselves because we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I think really successful teams, like that energy comes from the students. Yep. There's, and you just there's eat it up. very little we can do as coaches to energize them um, if they're not doing it uh, amongst themselves. So um, one other thing on the Sheboygan North front, I just want to say congratulations to my co-coach Dan Berkey, Yay! who with his wife this weekend purchased a home here in Sheboygan. So grown up. Which is so grown up and also selfishly so exciting because that means they're putting down roots here and I don't have to worry about him moving away at least for a little bit. Yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah. But now I just <laughs> to wait for the part where he's going to like, he's going to like have kids and stuff. No. Uh, nope. Okay. I'm cool. sneaking stuff into their water. Oh, good just job. Ki just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> don't drink the water. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was a joke. I like you both. And Yay. they are the type of people who should procreate. The yeah. world should have more Dan and Mary Berkey's. They're them. so wonderful. Um, so that's what's going on with us. Just a reminder, we still have the Wolf Song giveaway happening. That is my very first audio book. And all you have to do to get a free copy is to tweet at Forensics Faces, include the hashtag Wolf Song, and tell me about your favorite book, movie, or TV show that had a werewolf in it. So exactly one person took advantage of this after our first episode, which means there's still four free copies that you will get yeah. if you just send us a tweet. Who doesn't want to hear Kurt read a book? Come on. Like... like Seriously, for free. it's a book about wolves. Well, people who turn into wolves. People who turn into wolves. Which, yeah, maybe that's why not many people went for it. No, it <laughs> listen, it's a whole genre out there, and I can't believe that there aren't people who want to listen to it just for the ability to kind of make fun of me, which oh, I would welcome. I will not be making fun I of I welcome you. anyone who wants to cite a passage, some of which... Um, I mean, it's about gay werewolves, so there's going to be a couple in there that I will be embarrassed to have you recite oh back gosh. to me. Not because it's a bad book or because the writing is bad, but because stuff happens. Anyways, moving on, you should really tweet us about this book so that you can get yes. a free one uh, <laughs> before but I start giving them away to other people. Um, let's talk about another too taboo for the tab room yes. topic. It's time for part two. Yeah. For two taboo. <laughs> How long were you sitting on that one? Just right now. I just, just came happened. up with it. As I told Kurt before I started recording. I'm, wow. Ladies I'm gonna... and gentlemen, the next Lynn manuel Thank you. Right Thank here. You. Off My the hair top, is too long. Off the but top that's okay. of her head. Off the top of the, it's off the top of the dome. Kurt. Okay, great. Yep. I don't know the language. <laughs> I don't know the lingo. Gotta get into the lingo. See, you just need to Sorry. talk more to John Balsarek because he like does hip hop education stuff. And so he like knows all that lingo and he'll make you feel very cool despite the fact that you wouldn't think so. He's a very hip man. Yeah, no, I know that. I'm just thinking if it would make me hipper to learn about hip hop from John Balseric. I think so. Would it? Yeah. Like me though? Like I get I mean, I think so. Okay. Kurt, we can try it's it. It's possible for all, right, all John, of us. The challenge is is extended. You need to make me hipper. Yep. So we'll give it a shot. Um Okay, so Two Taboo for the Tab Room is the series that we are doing. If you are tuning in for the very first time, it's part two of our series where we are talking about things 
that we feel need to be addressed, but that are often uncomfortable to talk about uh, in mixed company. So what are we doing about it? We're putting it on the internet instead. Mm -hmm. So uh, last time we talked about... This is how good our memory we is from two weeks ago. We talked about sexism and racism. Yes, we did. And homophobic choices in acting categories. Correct. And then we also talked about what level of coach influence changes a student's original intent and whether or not there's such thing, like where that line of too much is. Yeah, that is what we talked about. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in that, go listen to the episode immediately And we got tons of great feedback one. about that. Yeah, so I was really thank excited. You. Thank, Thank you, you to for everybody all the people who participated and all the people who were like, this is the first time I listened. And it was really like exciting. And we got a very moving email from me from one of my former students yes. that like had me like crying at work. I knew you, you know would. who you are. How I'm- dare you? <laughs> I was a hot mess. And was, I sit in a very, very public sweet. area. I'm the reception. Like I was sitting reception for my building. It was not OK. Yes. I was, so, and I wore eyeliner that day. How dare I? Much love to that listener. Yes. Um. So <laughs> what we're talking about today. <laughs> Are you are you making fun of me because I made a peace <laughs> sign? You threw up deuces. <laughs> I loved it. It's okay. We're moving. That was for part two. Saying you were telling me we're moving on to part <laughs> yes, two. It was. So we are talking about uh, shady tabroom practices. Indeed. So I just want to be very clear about something from the tar- the start of this topic, which is um, we're not talking about like people blatantly breaking the rules. No, I'm not talking about like. Because I don't see this happening and I don't think it ever would. I'm not talking about a coach who's in tab room, like changing scores Mm -mm. to benefit anybody or anything like that. Um, But there are some other gray areas. And uh, some of this is behaviors we have heard about. It is some behaviors I have seen. And some that we might have participated in. I know that I have participated in some of these. I'll own up to it. Again, let's... We're not on our high horse because we fell off that a while ago. Yes. Um, So I think the first and foremost one and the one that is the most prevalent um, are the the practice of, you know, you're in tab, you have access to all of the scores Mm -hmm. and you will let a student or a fellow coach know the results of rounds that you have seen. Yes. You know, Um, I only really started being involved in tab rooms more regularly this past season as people thought that I was a trustworthy individual and I like to consider myself to be, but for me, and sometimes it's not even just like the result of the round, but trying to figure out a way to like slyly communicate to someone like Mm -hmm. that, that when a student's like, I did so poorly the round and it's like, are you sure? Right. And like, what did you see? And it's like, I'm not saying anything. I just, I'm just checking why you're so doubtful. And like, you're saying in a tone where they understand, but you're trying for me, it's like, mm-hmm. and it's not something I do regularly. I'll only pull it out because I've had some self-confidence issues. But it's the sort of thing where you, it doesn't necessarily feel like you're breaking the rules, but you, you yeah, are. You're, really, you're breaking, yeah, you you're breaking the confidence of what of tab room means. Yeah. And it and is, it is tempting. Is. And I, again, when I was younger, I would I did it sometimes too. And it's the exact same situation that you described, which is that of a student who is like, Oh, I don't think I did very well. And you know, in the back of your mind, like, well, you got a one. You got a one. You like, idiot. so I don't want you to second guess yourself. Like, and I'm not going to say, well, you got a one, you idiot. Mm-hmm. But I can say, like, well, I don't think you did that bad. I don't think wink, you- wink. Yeah, nod, nudge, nudge. You know, and it probably just freaks them out even more, and it's probably not helpful, anyways. Um, <laughs> but really, like, it's something I wouldn't do now. In fact, now when I'm in tab rooms, I. I really don't leave tab room anymore. I used like, there's a lot of downtime when you're tabbing. Um, And so I used to wander more and in order to avoid the temptation of like letting people know Mm -hmm. what I know, uh, I just kind of hang back now. Um, And see, I am almost always at intake table, but that I get put there because I don't take no for an answer from mm -hmm. people. Um, Because as we talked about on the podcast, I am very, we put a lot of faith and expectation in our judges and I expect them to fulfill what their role and duty is as a judge for our students. And so I'm a great person to put at an intake table because I will yell at people, but in like a yep. really nice way. Well, you you and, make sure the expectations are known yeah, and, and followed met. through. Yes. Yeah. Um, but because I sit there, students are very easy to find me. And <laughs> I know this past year at Mariah's tournament in New London, I had a lot of students just like hovering around and... Poor, wonderful Deb was just like, 
y'all need to y'all yeah need right to, to skedaddle which i was i told him i was like you need to you need to get i am not accessible to you right, right. now i am I'm are you working. bleeding? No. <laughs> no. Go away. Go. Are you bleeding? <laughs> yeah. You know where the mom bag is. Right. You can give yourself <laughs> first aid. You know how to drive a car. Yeah. But, and for me, sometimes, sometimes it's that area of where you're like, I know that I need to provide as a coach some form of optimism to them when I know that they're in a dark, like a down place they don't need to be. But it's like, how do I do that without breaking confidence and right. not... Like I, you have expectations and duty to fill as someone who gets chosen to work in a tab room. So it's figuring out where that duty crosses along with being a coach mm-hmm. and sort of on tab room days, well, one but I think supersedes can, the other. Yeah. And you can certainly offer a positive reinforcement to somebody yeah, without that has nothing to do with what you know. Exactly. About score. Um, and I mean, for me, what, again, because it just in the course of time, it has gotten easier. Um, I just don't check the scores anymore. And, and you know, it's all on the computer. I can bounce out of what I'm doing. So unless I actually entered your scores from that day, and mm-hmm. even then, oftentimes we're dealing with codes. I'm not taking a moment to be like, oh, oh good, yeah. that was so-and-so, and they got a one. Somebody's reading me a code. I'm entering the ranking accordingly. And if I just don't go look, it's so much easier not to think about, like, oh, I really wish I could go let this freshman know how mm-hmm. well they did in their first round. And in working intake, like you, I'm looking at the, the critique sheets and ballots for most of the rounds in a tournament. I don't have time to just like stop and check out my own students I'm, and students to take note. They, there's not time to do that for you. Our, right. our, my priority is helping my friend keep their tournament on time and running smoothly. It is not like checking out how you did like rank wise or, and another thing like, looking at what your critiques were and then telling you what they were like, or looking at what your well, time is. So that's, so that's, that's a whole other thing. Is I was like, going to say like, so like the, I feel like the first bullet point that we're talking about today is something that's well-meaning mm-hmm. and probably a pretty common practice that we need to examine and like not do that anymore. Um, but the second bullet point, uh, which you just brought up is like actually reading the critique sheets and passing on any helpful information yeah. to your students. Like, finding out if they're over time or like this judge says that you're mumbling or like they can't understand the title of your piece. Like anything that you read and have access to and share outside the, the tab room to me goes a step beyond just like wanting to make someone feel better. Like mm-hmm. now you're actually giving a competitor an advantage. You're, getting, you're using your tab room position to get right, competitive edge. Right. And, you know, and this is something that I have seen happen. So this is not hearsay. I have watched someone go look at the critique sheets of their students and pass that information through another coach to the kid. I have seen it happen. So uh, this is this was really disturbing. This opened my eyes uh, yeah. to this is probably the first time I really started to examine my own tab room practices because it was like, oh, like there they're giving their kid a competitive advantage because mm-hmm. they're in this room. Yeah. And that's, you know, encouragement is one thing. I thought what I was doing was encouragement, but maybe yeah. I need to take a second look at what even I'm doing. And and I will admit to having once in the past working the intake table at my own tournament and my tournament happens at the end of February, right around the time that kids start doing declamation and having a declamation student who performed a round, and the judge let them go 13 and a half minutes. Oh, jeez. And I saw it when I, because I asked how the round went, and the judge said, there are a lot of kids with weird times. And I was like, what's weird? She's like, I had one student that was four and a half minutes, and one that was 13. And I saw that that 13-minute student was mine. Oh. And so I said to myself. So what did you do, Coach Melissa? So Coach Melissa, being a horrible dirtbag of a person (laughs) in that moment, but also in my mind justifying it by saying that I was thinking about the other people in the rounds and the judges who are going to have to watch them, that I said to the student, maybe look at your time. That was all I said. Mm -hmm. I said, maybe look at your time. And then the student gave me wide eyes and said, oh, I felt like I went over and I just walked away from them. Yeah. Because that student was <laughs> sitting because it was in the middle school where I was doing intake. And mm-hmm. that's what I did. And yes, I acknowledge that that was me taking advantage of the fact that I was getting to look at critique sheets. But in my mind, 
I justified that by how extreme of a case that was and how horrible I would feel if two more judges had to sit through my student sure. giving what would have probably only became a longer version of the declamation. <laughs> but a lot of the times, sometimes I'll communicate with my co-coach. Like I'll say to Ben, like, guess whose ballot says the exact thing we've been trying to fix for two and a half weeks. And he'll oh, be sure. like, oh, that. But student, like, but again, you're student, not, yeah, you're not able, you're not like giving an advantage to your student by yeah. telling him or her that. You're just commiserating basically yeah. at that point, which is <laughs> a totally different victorious. thing. I mean, I'll do it. Like if I, if I'm at that ballot table and I see one of my kids doing something on the critique sheet, I'll, I'll turn to the person next to me and be like, eh, see, I told him about this. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite things it to doesn't, do, honestly. You know, complaining <laughs> doesn't affect yeah. the outcome. Sharing that information with a competitor does. And that's what we saw. Um, that I feel is like a really, and I think, you subjectively would say would look back at the situation you just described and say like you probably wouldn't do that the same way no i probably again. wouldn't go i probably wouldn't do it at all but at the in the in the moment in the situation i had lots of justification for it yeah but what what harm would it have done for the students who have performed two more rounds gotten their ballots that that afternoon and been like I did 15 minutes of declamation why didn't anyone shoot me in the face to make me stop <laughs> but in my mind I justified it. And so for me, it's also the idea like when you do that, you're taking away a learning experience from a student. Like why not have them learn from the consequence of those decisions that they're making rather oh, than like point. trying because you're, you're they're You're turning that into an anomaly then. Like yeah. if, if the first round they get that critique where it's like you were mumbling quietly and then you sneak off or you text them. You're like you were mumbling first round, make sure you're enunciating. And mm -hmm. so then it becomes something that they don't learn from right so by taking away the consequence you're taking away a learning experience so good well put Thank I you. like I like that um moving into some more gray areas yes this one uh, is one I think I, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take because sure I'm sure with your more experience in tavern you've seen this uh, bullet point number three is taking a rule violation concern into your own hands um and I do speak from personal experience on this because I've actually been accused of it. Um, well, I mean, there was that CFL situation a few years ago yes. where like once one thing happened, then people were like, well, this other thing happened and you didn't do anything about it. And it's like, well, cause that technically wasn't a rule violation. Um, but they were right. Like I should have just brought it into the room and let them then say it wasn't a rule violation, which yeah. in hindsight, everyone agreed. Like I, there was no like, Oh wow. That would have changed the outcome. Um, but it would have been so much simpler if I just would have from the ballot table walked into the room and said, this is a complaint I just got. And we all would have looked at the rules together and they would have said, well, that's annoying, but it's not a rule violation. <laughs> um, and I could have walked back out and been like the consensus is this does not break the rules. Um, so can you give me like a hypothetical situation about well, this? Well, I see it happening quite a bit at, at ballot collection tables. Um, I sat at the state ballot collection table for quite a few years mm -hmm. and um, would often have to, to be the voice of like, well, let's just take it right in. Um, you know, and so it's somebody, uh, you know, somebody will come and say like, I am pretty sure that, you know, the piece that this person is doing is prose and they're in a poetry round. Or... You know, it's it's stuff like that, that there's a, a really subjective nature to the critique mm -hmm. um, or to the, the concern of the rule violation. Um, but even when it's clear cut, even if they're like, you know, this kid was using a knife to cut an apple. Like it is not the job of the person sitting at that table or the coach that overheard it to say, oh, yep, that's a rule violation. We got to take care of like they're cut. Like, let's change the scores. Um, because the reality is the way our system is set up, our WFCA bylaws govern exactly one tournament and that's mm -hmm. the state tournament. Yeah. And otherwise we have a system of tournaments that are run by a tournament director and they kind of get to do what they think is best. Mm -hmm. And so I guess to me, it's just, this is just a reminder to people who work on ballot tables or who overhear things um, or who have a student complain to them. You have to put it into the hands of the people who have been tasked with making that decision. Most tournament directors I know appoint a TPP group. Mm -hmm. like when in, picking in, their tavern yeah, staff. In advance, they know that like these are the three people I'm going to take any rules violation concerns to. And they can discuss it and ask all the right questions. And then they will make a recommendation and I can choose to do what they recommend or not. And see, 
And this is where, for me, we get into that, like, shady aspect of it. Because at my home tournament, because I run in two schools, my hope is that when it, because, and you running my middle school with me, there's just you and I Mm -hmm. there. And so we become sort of our own personal little TPP. And that is a very specific type of situation. But it's just like the idea of some directors do empower their their intake table to determine whether or not something needs to be brought in before their TPP or if it can be handled by them being able to answer a simple yes or no question. And so for me, it's the idea that if a judge comes and they're like, can a student do this in a round? Mm -hmm. And then the intake table can say, like, can a student be using a knife in in demonstration? You can say, no, that's actually a disqualifiable offense. You And then you can, like, turn, like, show them on the rule sheet that it says so. Mm-hmm. And then say, so please rank accordingly. And I believe that that's... Well, but again, what they're supposed to do is rank as if there was no offense. Yep. And then, gather that information and then take it to whoever mm-hmm. makes that decision. The difference, I think, that we're talking about with South is you are one of the tournament directors. Yeah. So... However many people were sitting there with you, you are one of the people who has the ability to make the decision. At Sheboygan North, when I'm at the ballot table and I overhear Mm -hmm. something, I'm the decision maker. So we had that exact situation happen. Somebody was using a knife and I didn't need TPP together because, again, that that was a rule violation. I heard him making the complaint and I grabbed, (laughs) I said, give me the code. Rank accordingly, took it into the guy and said, this person's disqualified. I'm going to go find the coach. And you know? But I, I do believe that they're, depending on what a tournament director decides, because some directors will say, if it's, an, if it's a black and white violation that they ask you about, I empower you to make the decision on my behalf. But a lot of directors. Oh, see, I have to say, I think that's a bad call. If you're a tournament director, if, if, if there's a disqualification if we're talking about disqualifying a student yeah that has to be taken seriously and it has to be made at the highest level the buck needs to stop with exactly one or two people if you're a co-tournament director Mm -hmm. like and to be fair working a lot of intake tables a lot of what judges are bringing are not actual disqualifiable rule violations a lot of it is just people who are ignorant to rules (laughs) That are not necessarily rule violations, but just like not necessarily understanding like what the differences in different kinds of poetry might be, mm-hmm. what the differences in blocking choices might be. And so this is for me is one of those things where you can I can go on a preachy bit about informing your judges properly. But some of it is just like judges not knowing what's going on. But don't you think even if it's very clear that it's that type of situation, it still warrants being taken to the next level and saying, this is the complaint. This was the information I gathered. See, I think this is where it's different because. All right. I want feedback because I I say. Well, because for me, I believe that because having worked the state tournament where this year there was an like out of the ordinary amount of things that were brought to TPP, like TPP Mm -hmm. worked almost the entire tournament going through violations and, and questions about disqualification. Like, they were there was a line of judges backed up around that room as you because you were part of that and yep. so you know that, that was what was going on and so for me i in my mind i was like okay what can i be doing to either be answering questions knowing like where they're like i have a question about a rule violation and so i asked i have them tell me what the question is and i can say to them no that's not something to worry about yes go to tpp so maybe the idea is that I'm not trying to serve as TPP, but sort of just like the bouncer for TPP as intake. Like, sure, what I, I can be doing to lessen that, and obviously maybe at a regular tournament because I just stayed so fresh in my mind, having been at the fall meeting, like knowing how many things Carrie was dealing with as our TPP chair, like what I could be doing, and maybe smaller tournaments. You know, it's not nearly as many, and so you need to be bringing them up, and we need to have a better understanding of empowering the people who are I, I really want to get places. some feedback I want to see people who I are tournament hear. directors let yeah. us know what your preference is would you rather your intake table be able to serve as as a bouncer and a, and like a spokes person on your behalf of what goes to TPP and what doesn't or do you want all things to come to you and maybe that's the true lesson here which is if you're a tournament director you need to make that perfectly clear yeah 
um, what what it is you expect from your. But maybe maybe I'm weird in that I empower people to when you, when you pick your 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 tab well, staff you but you I, want them to be people you can trust to make decisions on your behalf. Like, right. And you and but I have talked about this. False, like, I think there's a false equivalency there, though, because okay. I'm not talking about not trusting the people to yeah. do that. I'm just saying out of respect for the person who brought the concern and even more so out of respect for the students whose performances are being considered for disqualification, mm-hmm. there should always be a second level. Okay. There should always be a second person to just take a look at it and, and confirm like, yep, nope, I totally agree. And maybe that happens 30 minutes later. Like, you know, every, like you gathered it, you handled it, you took down the name, you know, but like you go back and say, Hey, this was something that came to me. This is how I handled it. That cool. Yeah. That's exactly what I would have done. And then, you know, moving on. But I just think it's so important that the judges know their concerns are being addressed, even when they might seem silly. Um, but even more so, I just think anytime we're talking about a student breaking a rule, mm-hmm. like let's make absolutely sure that there's more than one person in the process and that you identify who it is ultimately that is responsible for making the decision. And that when that happens, that that person at least knows about all the times that the question was brought. Okay. So, which is not to say that you don't trust the people who are there making the, the calls on the ground or on the fly as it would happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, let me know about it. Yeah. So, if I like to think that so would, if there's because the other thing that scares me about that is there's often like two or three people at a ballot table. And I wouldn't want it to be that, like, depending on who you walked up to at that ballot table, the situation is handled differently. Oh, see, I would always like, especially at state, because I was working with two amazing women, Dora Sexton and Amy guys are like when we brought them, it was obvious it would be like, can you guys pause? And then that person would state that violation again. And then I guess. Doris told me to bring everything to TPP, which I ended up doing because mm-hmm. it was what was instructed to me to do and why it like, took so long with all the people. So, Doris, I know you're listening. You don't have <laughs> you don't have to email in. We know no. what you think. But um, I, I I like the idea of of knowing that people are informed enough to to make. I re- decision, yeah, but now I'm really curious. Yeah, I'm surprised that we <laughs> disagree. Yeah. And, and which I, is fine. And I don't think and that I we like one hundred percent disagree because I do believe. Again, I just think that there are situations where, uh, where yeah, a, a an intake gray. table person knows enough to decide. No, your stupid question is stupid. You're obviously just an ignorant jerk judge. Please stop wasting my time. There are three people behind you <laughs> in twelve minute categories that are already running forty five minutes behind. I need you to move harsh. on from your life. So harsh. So harsh. I just don't care. <laughs> Let's move on to the next question. Okay. The uh, next the, bullet point, I mean. The next bullet point. Um, and this, again, this is something I've seen happen. I've probably been guilty of it. I, I am 100% I really, really guilty of the following it. thing. Okay. I am a horrible, again, dirtbag of a person. <laughs> so here's what, okay, so the bullet point is bad-mouthing student pieces that happen to be doing well. Um, and I put in parentheses. Wow, it, I can't believe that piece got a one. Right. So, and here's why I get concerned about that when I hear it, which is that. Because it's adults talking crap about children. That's why you're concerned about it. And it's nope, also us. Okay. Nope, that would be a common, uh, like a decent thing to think. <laughs> nope, that's not why I'm concerned about it at all. <laughs> Tell me why. <laughs> because in the world of forensics, I don't think judges, and this is true in the judges lounge too. I don't think judges should talk about in specifics, the pieces they saw to other judges, because there's a chance that judge might go judge that same piece later that day. And I don't think that they should walk in already having an idea or a bias or a notion. Knowing that often people from tab room are pulled from tab room to go judge a final round, whether that's scheduled and like on purpose or because it needs to be done at the last minute because there's a thing. I just feel like you shouldn't be like, oh my God, I saw this piece last week. I can't believe it's doing well. This is the title. This is the category it's in. Like (laughs) express surprise, like, oh, wow. But then like shut up about it because you just don't know if the person you're talking to might end up seeing that kid later that day and they should go in unbiased. So no, I don't care about talking (laughs) crap about teenagers. (laughs) See, for me, I should, but I don't. (laughs) Okay. My, and I've, and I've talked about this in 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 the uh, safe space that is the judges lounge, one of the things that can be really difficult for me as a judge is that when you have a certain size of a team and you do certain categories that you fill, you don't 
you judge a lot of the same categories. Mm-hmm. And because of the way that we compete in our association, you're competing against a lot of the same teams because you're competing in your similar region over and over again. So like there was one year where I saw the same solo series five times. And it was a pretty good solo series, but I got in trouble. I'd only been judging for like three years at this point, which I guess is a lot, but at the time didn't feel like much. But by the time I got to like the fourth or fifth time I watched that student, I was so jaded about it. And I didn't have, I couldn't provide good feedback because the performance stopped changing after like the third time I saw it. Right. And so I like, I remember going back to the judges lounge and being like, Y'all remember the piece I hate? And they're like, that's a little serious. It's like, guess you saw it for round number five. And then so, and then there are also the students where you judge a piece and you just like cannot comprehend why they're doing well when your students aren't. And you know in the back of your mind that it's the idea of taste level and opinion and personal preference. And we're all unique butterflies of judges. But at the same time, you're like, that piece is garbage to me, but people are eating it up. Mm-hmm. And so I tried really, really, really very hard to only do that talking to other judges, but you can hear and listen, coaches. We're only human. And like by human. the time you've seen something the fifth time and you're going back and being like, all right, I saw this again. Like that's weeks have gone by and the student has had an opportunity to take your critique and work on it yeah. and come back better. I'm talking like same day. Like, I know. just don't like make it so that yeah. somebody goes into that round, perhaps later that day, the student hasn't gotten to see your critique and act on it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're going in with a bias. Yeah. But even just like the idea of like, like students who are doing like students who do well on a consistent basis and what they're doing isn't your preference. And so like, you can like see people like when they like are winning and people are just like, oh, them again and i some of those mm-hmm. students are my students where people are like i don't understand why they're doing really well and i'm like because they work really hard thank you very much but like wow that just peaked on our oh sorry <laughs> headphones everyone <laughs> but like figuring out how to maintain that as we talked about last week or last episode that safe space for students that like when adults are being crappy and having those conversations about like passing judgments and you're like this is petty and gross. And I, I am a grown woman having a conversation. As you about say this, I am, I am hearing the voice of John Peschel Ugh. in his, I'm talking to third graders voice, reminding me to be a good person. You're setting an example. I'm realizing I probably should have had a better reason for putting this down, <laughs> but I was just worried about the ethical practice of judging and going in without bias. But yeah. yes, also everybody, let's be nice to kids. Let's do <laughs> Let's be nice to if children. If there's one thing you take away from today's episode, it's please be nice to the children. Be nice to... All right. Um, the final bullet point, and this I, I even said on here, to a lesser degree, mm-hmm. in general, a shady tambour practice is just checking your student scores. Yeah. Like, it's not what we're there to do. Everybody does it. Everyone does Every it. Every single person. I am going to pledge to try to do this mm-hmm. less often. I can't even promise that I won't ever do it because sometimes the, uh, you know, the I, temptation is too much. It's like it's right there and you do care. You do. You check because you care and you want to know and you want to have that information for when they want to talk about it on the bus and you want to be well armed yeah. with information. But like you are one of like seven people in the tab room who have the chance to do that. And all the other coaches who are at that tournament don't. Yeah. And they all are able to support their students without having that extra information. So I don't need to have that information either. I just need to do my job and focus on making sure the tournament runs smoothly. And if I'm so bored that I look up scores, I should go to the tournament director and say, hey, is there something I can be doing? Because I could probably be stuffing critique sheets into envelopes or organizing critique sheets inside envelopes. Like it's remarkable how much can get done in a tab Mm -hmm. room. If the people in the tab room are committed to like actually working the whole time they're there, um, rather than, you know, being really involved in what's going on with their own team. Mm -hmm. And see, okay. I, because I am so overly involved and I'm so like wrapped up in my students and their success to a level that I'm, am the first to admit can get unhealthy. I get really genuinely anxious going into um, like award ceremonies. So one thing that my wonderful 
lovely understanding co-coach does is that if he's been in a tab room, because after a tournament's done, he enters all of our students' things into a spreadsheet so that we can enter scores. He will show me, like walking into the award ceremony, what places that they got so I don't sit in anxious horribleness for 20 minutes. And yeah, it's shady. And he doesn't do it to me all the time because sometimes I'm like, make me wait. But there are other times where like I will genuinely need to know or I will sit on verge of panic attack. Like it's horrible. And I've been, I've been working on it for a few years. But Repeat there was a- after me. It's just forensics. It's just forensics. And that's what it, and that's one of the things that got me to do it. But there was a time where like I had students where I was just so like so worried about their reaction to like being disappointed and like me being like, oh my gosh, okay, so if they don't do well in their final round, then the bus ride home is gonna be so like full of crying and then I have to like it's gonna be a parent email on Monday and like all this stuff. So it's like I would get into a horrible place. So he would be nice and show me mm-hmm. what it was. And yeah, it's shady and it's crappy. And I do it a lot less now than previous years, but I understand like sometimes doing that in order to soothe that, that coach mind. But yeah, there are plenty of other things to be doing. And also like one of my favorite things about working in tab or for tab is I'm just getting to like talk to your coach friends and like catch up on their lives and hear great stories because I want to soak up as many stories as I can before all the good ones retire. So I'm trying to like... (laughs) Get all the knowledge and wisdom that I can soak up as quickly as possible. So yes, the good ones. Well, the good stories. <laughs> the good stories. The, the bad stories. Yeah. No, they. It, yeah, if you've ever had the pleasure of talking to uh, a Mike Tross or a Ron Steinhorst, oh, Ron has the best stories. Especially Adora Sexton. Like, you know, you know what we mean. But that that can and should be happening everywhere, not just in tab room. Yes. Um, okay. So we spent twice as long on that topic as we were scheduled All to. Right. Sorry for the long episode guys. It's important though. We're yeah. trying to, we're trying to figure out where our places are and we want feedback on whether or not if somebody are going to be like, that's all just typical regular things that happen. Mm-hmm. Then cool. But they're not cool. Okay. Not cool. Cool. But, not cool. Cool. Not cool. <laughs> cool. Not cool. Um, uh, <laughs> but that's the hashtag for today's podcast. Cool. Not cool. Friendly spaces. It. Hashtag cool. Not cool. All right. But um, yeah, we understand. But it's just one of those things that we, we I, know yeah, we I need do. to talk about. I want feedback. I would really like to hear what, uh, and there's, you know what, honestly, there's probably stuff that didn't come up in our episode. That, that people are going to type to us. Are, yeah. They're like screaming at their iPod <laughs> device right now being like, why didn't you bring up this? Um, so yeah, let us know about it. device. Oh, thanks, Grandpa Kurt. Podcasting device. How about that? <laughs> I like that much better. Your, your pod catcher, as they say on NPR politics. Yes. But as we're talking about this, um, the next thing we really want to talk about is bringing personal politics into your forensics round and into your judging. I'll call them preferences in this case. Yeah. 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 It's. Okay, so like we have a podcast. We do. Um, You're listening to it right now. Yeah, the, oh my gosh, magic. The introduction of today's podcast might let you know where we lean politically. But the deal is like this is our podcast. We do it in our free time. Um, you have the right as the listener to decide that we are too liberal for your liking yep. and turn it off. Yeah. That's how this works. It's free media. You know, we can say what we want. You mm-hmm. can choose to listen or not to listen. Um even within the context of our own teams, yes, we have a point of view mm-hmm. as coaches uh, that I will often share with my students. And the goal of that is to have a conversation that will help the students realize what they believe in, mm-hmm. you know, in regardless of what the topic is, whether it's political or not. But like, and also one of the goals of forensics in general is helping right. students form opinion. Yeah. And actually give a crap. Exactly. You know, it's, it, it is part of what we do as, as coaches. Um, it's, you know, it's what should be happening in education all the time. Yes. Like you have to bring part of yourself to the conversation. You can't be neutral all the time. Otherwise mm-hmm. you never really get anywhere. Um, that being said, what I work very, very hard to do and what bugs me when I see it happening to my kids with their comments is when I see that someone's personal feelings about politics, in in particular mm-hmm. politics, it seems to happen the most. Um, I would say that one other area it happens a lot is religion. Yes. Um, but we'll talk about politics today, is that they disagree with the point that's being made. 
and that's what they comment on and rather yeah, th- therefore can provide no other right rather critique. than backing up whether you know like being able to say okay this is the point you made this is how you backed it up this is the information you brought to the table and yes you made a persuasive argument you didn't persuade me because i disagree with it um but you know and even like using that as part of the critique i've done that yeah like you know like i can rank somebody a one because they put together a well uh a really well composed speech Mm -hmm. um but i can really disagree with like the premise of the question and i can comment on that and be like you know i don't i don't see it this way um, but man, did you do the work? I have one of one thing that I've written on a ballot that like has stuck with me was a student who presented a, a speech that was very intensely conservative, very intensely Republican. And a lot of the forensics world, like coming from from theater and whatnot, can be liberal leaning and telling them like you made a brave choice taking on this angle. Yeah. With this audience, you made a brave choice. Yeah. Which is my way of like slyly saying, I don't agree with you. But then like also commending them for making that decision. Sure. Because it can be difficult. But I've also been the coach where having students do a topic that people don't react to well because they come in with a bias already and then bring that bias to the paper. And it mm-hmm. is really frustrating. So sometimes like when a student is picking a topic, you can tell them your measure of success from this might have to come from getting to spread this message and not from the ranks on your ballot. Yeah. Which sucks. Which is a conversation to happen on the coaching side. And that's important. Yeah. Um, and I but guess- it's kind of a sucky thing to have to tell a student because you know mm-hmm. that they're going to have to walk into a round and deal with people who are bringing that bias to the paper. and We don't want it. And that's what we're trying to solve by talking about it here. Like, again, there are so many ways to critique something if it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have seen the, you know, there was that oratory a couple of years ago that was an, very anti-gay marriage. Yes. I never saw that oratory, but that same student did an oratory the year before, um, that was similarly, uh, conservative leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was very vague. Yes. Um, and it like, it was not so specific as like specifically speaking to gay mm-hmm. marriage. It was just kind of like a very pre Donald Trump, like America kind of stinks, stinks right now. So yeah. And here's, you know, here's what's wrong and here's how to fix it. Um, and it was just, it was too, too, too broad, too broad. Yeah. Like it never got into specifics. didn't back it up with any information. And I was like tearing away on that piece of paper about, about that. A part of me wishes I could go back and look and just see like, did I actually mm-hmm. do this? But like in my mind, what I was commenting on was the composition of the speech, the fact yeah. that it lacked a thesis, uh, the fact that, you know, every paragraph was on a, a completely different topic and that none of it was being backed up with actual uh, attributable information. It was mm-hmm. all just opinions of other people who felt the same way she did um, without any, any data. Yeah. Uh, and that's what really hurt that particular person. Um, and from what I understand, I, again, I didn't see the speech that followed. Like she addressed a lot of those things in the next year's oratory. Yeah. That like there was at least information there, even if it was tough for somebody who was. I do believe that she was finaling. I've yeah. Like, and that's, stage, that's what I heard. So. Like she was doing well. Um, and my, you know, so that's what it's okay to critique. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you, you disagree with something and treat it with kid gloves. Yeah. Like, but just be critical of it in the exact same way you would be critical of something that you would agree with. Because there's a lot there to critique, even if they're they're preaching to the choir and you love what they're saying. Like, yeah, but are they backing it up? Are they using more than one source? Uh, Did they basically just take a TED Talk and (laughs) rejigger it? Um, There's so much there to look at. So I don't know what more there is to say on this topic. Do you have anything else that you want to share? Uh, A personal story about this happening? When we still had public address, uh, one of the topics was what, if anything, the United States government do to address uh, gay marriage in America. Mm-hmm. And so I had a young woman who went, who did a, a speech against gay marriage and she used a lot of really horrible language that was really inappropriate, but she was still like, she was impeccably dressed and, but she used language that I found really uncomfortable and used a lot of language that I really hated as someone uh, who tries to be an ally at all times. And so uh, my 
all I wrote on her negative was just what was probably a paragraph, which is a lot in that section about how disagreeing and coming at it from the con side of the question is one thing, but just to attack the people who are being questioned in it and the choice of language is another. And that by using the language that she did, she completely nullified any persuasion that she was trying to do. So, and it was it was very hard for me to watch. Uh, but then immediately after her, a student got up and gave a really fun, great, well-informed speech in favor of gay marriage. And I just remember being like, oh, palate cleanser for me personally. <laughs> and also be like the presentation of her speech was great. Like she was put together. It was just like the actual content of the speech was what I will now call gross. Yeah. So, but it took balls for him to get up and then give a speech pro when like she had set a very weird tone in the room and to <laughs> go up immediately after her. So yeah, that was probably like the 17th time they'd gone up against <gasps> each other. It was public probably. address after all. There yeah. Was I'm pretty sure that was literally the last year of it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it can, it was hard for me, but I, it, I, I left her ballot until the end and then made sure to sit. Cause sometimes you do have to like let your anger sink down a little bit and come back to it at the end for me, at least because yeah. I'm a very emotional reactive person. I need to take a moment and I can critique all the, the, the regular things and comment on the regular things and then figure out how to word it in a way that is constructive. So we're judging content, not opinion. Yes. Yes. And then go, you know, complain about it on the bus. Yeah. Go eat a candy bar. <laughs> Yeah, we, we 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 have the at Chewing South. It's the save it for the bus rule. We call it bus talk. Bus talk. I wish we could have which a is whole... different than bus driver talk. Yes. Oh God, I'm so excited bus for bus club. driver talk. Bus I love that club. club. All right, well, guys, if you are still listening, congratulations, you've Woo-hoo! made it a solid, probably close to an hour at this point. Um, it is not too late to submit a topic for later in the taboo series. We'd like to do at least two more episodes. Um, the third episode is fully planned out, but there is uh, where we are looking for f- feedback for episode yes. number four. I want to know us what to do. What do you need us to talk about? What do we need to go back and address if we mm-hmm. royally missed something, a big point that you want us to address? Um, and don't forget to tweet at Forensics Faces using the hashtag Wolfsong to receive a free copy of my first audiobook. Do it. It's like, you know, getting more than four and a half stars on audible with like 120 some reviews. Like mm-hmm. people, are en- people are enjoying it. No, just so go- humble? I'm trying to give you a free copy of my book. Do I need to humble brag about it? I'm just going to brag about it. Okay. It's doing well. I'm trying to give you a free copy, <laughs> free copy. Get listeners. The book. Free. Um, you know what? I bet this means, you know what I bet it means What? that everybody who listens to forensics faces, just went, bought it. they just, yeah, they just went and bought it. I'm going to choose to believe that. Thanks guys. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Forensics Faces is recorded and edited in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Our theme song was written and performed by J.J. Hamister. If you're a fan of Forensics Faces, give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, your iPod machine or whatever, your iPod device. Hashtag Grandpa Kurt. Find more info at ForensicsFaces.com and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Forensics Faces. I'm Kurt. And I'm Melissa, encouraging you to listen. Think and speak, preferably in that order. 